At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 463rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who believes people are the core of small business success. We're talking with Carl Atwell about entrepreneurship strengthened by valued relationships. Carl has spent 25 years working toward the dream of someday owning a company centered around employees and customers. In January, he purchased Gemplers, an 80-year-old farm and home store that helps everyone who works outdoors. Gemplers is an independent farming and outdoor work supply company with a promise to treat you like a neighbor, not a number. They provide innovative products to make the hardest outdoor jobs easier with fair pricing and friendly service every time. Welcome to the show today, Carl. Are you ready to rock? Let's do it. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure, would love to. I think the path sort of goes maybe like a lot of other folks who I spent 20 or 25 years working for other folks and learned a ton and had a lot of great experiences along the way. And the whole time in the back of my mind, I had a dream about doing something more entrepreneurial and, you know, busy raising a family and we have, we have four kids and sort of wondering, will you ever get that opportunity or will that come about? And then you, you know, you're aging more and more as you go along and wondering, will it happen? Will it happen? Will it happen? And it happened. And that's something that I'm really excited to talk about here today. Awesome. And why Gemplers? How did that all happen? Well, Gemplers, so I I live in Wisconsin and primarily have lived here most of my life in right outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And, And Gemplers, was founded here, as, as you mentioned in the opener. It's, uh, we're 80 years old. So it's a brand that I knew, and it's a brand that, you know, in an age when everyone's trying to go retro or make something vintage, Gemplers has a great history and it has a great story that's authentic and real. You don't, you don't have to make it up. And its uh, roots are about helping people whose hands are in the soil, who are working outdoors, who are doing the real work. And so it had authenticity, it had a heritage, it had a customer base. And then I suppose the next part of it is, you know, you you, you had to say to yourself, well, do you think there's an opportunity there? And the opportunity that that I saw was that for the past 10 or 12 years or or, or maybe more, Gamplers had been owned by bigger kind of corporate entities. And while there's a lot of benefits to that in terms of resources and 
processes and things that go along with that. It, too often what can happen is something that's special that knows what it's doing can get kind of lost in that corporate structure. And so I felt right. like, or we felt, we felt like if we could take it out of the big corporate structure and get it back to a more entrepreneurial structure and get it back to kind of its roots, and I can talk about what I mean there if you want, we'd have a real chance to, to make it special again. So yeah, why don't you dig in a little bit more about the roots of Gemplers? Because it's a fascinating story. Yeah, I think it, it, it's heritage, and there's so many elements of entrepreneurship kind of intertwined in it, and I hope we get a chance to talk about that more later. But, you know, there, there's chapters in the business, and in the beginning, it was a, a tire store for rural America, you know, essentially a place farmers would go to get their agriculture or any kind of farming tires service. So just rural America tire store, just to say it more simplistically. The, the gentleman who bought it in the mid-80s started running those tire stores and he pivoted, you know, he was, that business was not going well and he was kind of paying attention to direct mail and direct businesses and what was happening there. And so he pivoted and kind of out of desperation went to a thing called Wisconsin Dairy Expo. So you can imagine what that is. Yep. So he, he went there and he handed out flyers. So not a catalog, but flyers kind of with Sharpie and some typed up stuff at that time. And basically posed this question to the farmers, would you buy tires from me on a direct basis, you know, kind of mail order, would you buy tires for me? And he did that, by the way, out of desperation, really, because the, the tire, the retail tire business wasn't working. And guess what? The farmers said absolutely they would do that. And so he sold the tire store part of the business and moved to a small town uh, outside of Madison called Mount Horeb, he and his wife, and they were, became the first two employees of really what we'll call the, the next chapter of Gemplers, which was you know mail order or a catalog-oriented business. And he started by selling tires, and then from there added on footwear and then workwear. He did, he did what any good entrepreneur would do. He, he talked to those customers and said, how else can I help you? And he became known in that community with that set of customers is somebody who understood them, who cared about the same kinds of issues that, that they cared about. And then on top of it all, he was just a really, really good merchant, meaning serving up products and solutions that actually solved problems, you know, pro problems that customers might not have even known there was a solution for. And so we built the business around that and grew it and then uh, aggressively and, and, and surrounded it with phenomenal customer service and just good values, et cetera. And then at some point, it sounds like he sold it to a large corporation. Right. He sold it to a large corporation. And one footnote of the story that I just want you to know is that gentleman that I spoke of is Steve Schleck, who now owns and runs Duluth Trading. So very, very successful kind of individual, but he started you know, in the path that I just talked about. And so he, he sold the business to some big entities. And then the rest of the story kind of picks up where we were talking about before, where something that was special and unique and kind of knew what it was doing, got somewhat lost in, the, in that corporate larger structure. It got passed between a few different corporations along the way. And the opportunity that we saw was to bring it back to its roots, which really revolve around you know, first of all, a more entrepreneurial environment versus a big corporate structure. 
So I'm a owner in the business, but I run the business every day. That That's very, very different. The, the next part of it is we, we want to become product experts. So people that are driven on providing the right product and the right amount of product and not being over assorted and things like that and to just bringing creative solutions to the table. And we want to surround all that with obviously great service and great people and great values. Yeah. So one of your crew, I think Terry, reached out to me and about two months ago, and there's a real fascinating story here. They reached out to me and we talked and they agreed, your marketing department agreed to sponsor the podcast. It was like, wow, because for me choosing somebody to sponsor the podcast, I really need to believe in their products. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. So that was a bonus. And then about a few weeks ago, from another one of your departments, they reached out and said, well, would you like to interview Carl from Gemplers? And, you know, then we put two and two together. So that this just magically happened, which I'm very excited about. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be on as well. One of the things I want to know is, because I talk about this a lot in my podcast, for people that are maybe somewhere that they don't love what they're doing and they get this inspiration or get this possibility. Can you tell me your story from going to not owning Gemplers to the inspiration behind actually buying it and then it happened? Can Tell me that story. I guess the, the first thing I'd say about it is the restlessness that people have, you, you sort of need to pay attention to that in that yearning that you have to, maybe I could actually do something, I just encourage people to, to pay attention to that. And then it's sort of a matter of of keeping yourself open to the possibility. So the story, you know, as it went down, is I was in the right place at the right time. So, I mean, I just need to make that clear. I was between things, doing some consulting work, trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Didn't really have a desire to go back and work for a big company. You know, at, at the same time, you, you know, you have to do whatever you need to do to, to support your family. Right. But I had a yearning, you know, to do this entrepreneurial thing and call it Providence or, or call it whatever you want. This opportunity really fell in my lap. I mean, to say that I was, it wasn't a matter of searching on the internet or any of those things. It just sort of happened. I mean, the place where I was consulting is where this opportunity kind of came up to, to ultimately be involved in purchasing the company. Nice. And, you know, I found over and over again in, you know, in my 40 years of adult life that when I start paying attention for those little nuances, for the little things, magic can happen. I think that's exactly right. I mean, exactly right. And things don't work, and we'll probably get into this in the conversation as we go along here, but how you draw things up on paper aren't how they're going to go. Yeah, um, thanks. And so, yeah, <laughs> so to try to pretend that I had this all orchestrated or figured out is, is just not true, or to say that it's gone the way that I thought it was going to just isn't true either. And, and I think that that's a huge misnomer, you know, that people have on the front end, and one of the things that scares them is I have to have all of the product figured out. You know, you know, I'm, I really want to, let's say you and I want to go into business. Well, what are we going to do or what are we going to sell? And there becomes so much focus about that versus the kind of company you want to try to create. And, and again, just taking some chances and having a little bit of faith. Yeah. When you're designing this company, as we said in your, in your bio, a company owned 
that's centered around employees and customers. Uh, you know, quite honestly, that's how we run Urban Farm and Urban Farm U and everything we do here is, you know, I have a team of great people that are reaching out and helping great people out there. So how did you come to that specifically and how does it manifest itself? I worked at Land's End for a lot of years, 10 years, and there are so many good things that were kind of passed down from the founder of that company, mm -hmm. uh, Gary Comers. Gary Comer is his name. And one of the sayings that was kind of tattooed on everybody out there was something that Gary said, which was, take care of employees and take care of your customers and the rest will take care of itself. Amen. And what happens is, is so that's where I learned that. And what happens is, you know, you get all educated. So you go back and you get an MBA and you do all these things and, and you get really good at developing business strategy and asking the tough questions and putting 50 page decks together of how you're going to do certain things. And you sort of get further and further and further away from entrepreneurship. And, and, and by the way, I see that happen in companies all the time that stagnate their growth. Yep. You know, they start going up to the whiteboard and saying, these are the 10 strategies that we're going to use to go grow. And here's how much each is worth. And it all looks great in PowerPoint and all the math in Excel works, but it's, it's kind of ends up being rubbish to a certain degree. And they sort of forget what entrepreneurship was about. You know, so even going back to the Land's End story, that company was started selling sailing hardware. So that was the main product. So if they were sitting around, you know, before they got into business and said, what are we going to sell? It was sailing hardware because Gary was a avid sailor and he was frustrated that he couldn't get quality products. So he, he built a company selling that products, but more importantly, around the values that we just talked about, yeah. treating customers the right way and treating employees the right way. Well, guess what? Over time, they morphed into, they listened to the customers and the customers migrated more to the, the rain gear or what was called foul weather gear at that time that they were selling. And they became an apparel company and you know grew to $2 billion in sales. And what I would like to say about that is, he got the product wrong originally, didn't he? I mean, his his business idea was wrong. Okay, big deal. His business idea was, or his product idea was wrong. He got all the values about how how to run a company right. And as an entrepreneur, if you just continue to put one foot in front of the next, I think that you will you'll you'll find your way. And that's what I really believe at Gemplers, and what I would encourage you know, anybody who wants to jump in to not go get so lost on what's your first product going to be necessarily, but the kind of company that you want to be. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Gemplers has many products. And I know in my conversations with your, you know, your marketing crew, they've talked about this word curating or, you know, curating your product line. Tell me about your products and what your intention is behind them. Yeah, and I appreciate the question. It's something that we talk about a lot, and I want to say that this is an aspirational thing, meaning we're trying to run the business day by day, but we have kind of a vision of where we where we want to get to, and the vision centers around curation of product so that it makes the shopping experience easy for the customer. You know, we're serving up only what they need to see. So the example today, or when you look at the business today, we cover a lot of categories of products. So again, think of us as a, a farm and home store. So 
the kind of place where you would get everything from landscape and nursery supplies to footwear to workwear to gloves to safety to kind of how you manage pests, uh, sprayers, you know, all those kinds of things. And we sell to, to businesses such as landscapers or nurseries or farmers or fruit and vegetable growers, all of those. But then we also sell to hobbyists. But the common thread that, that we want to run through all of that is kind of commercial grade product where we've done the curation, we've done the hard work for you mm-hmm. in terms of figuring out the brands and the products that make sense and only serving up those solutions. And what happens is when you get to a place where you're not doing that anymore and you're just a reseller of a whole bunch of stuff, there's nothing that separates you from you know other people that are out there and you're not actually providing a service to the customer anymore and you can't become sort of a trusted resource. And that's what Gemplers was back in the day, and that's where we want to get back to. We want to get back to if you were on our website or you picked up our catalog and you looked at it, it'd be a delightful shopping experience because, again, we're only serving up what you need to see in any given category. And we're also bringing forth products that solve problems that you didn't know there was a solution for and that were commercial grade or better quality. So that that work's been done. So the products, commercial grade, they're going to last. These aren't, you know, a pair of gloves that you're going to use for 15 minutes and throw away. Right. And even if they're at various price points, so, you know, when you're on this end of the business, you talk about good, better, best in terms of price points. And I think as consumers, we're all, we're kind of interested, we're used to that sort of approach, you know. But even within that, can there be value and there can, can there be quality at that price point? And that's the work that a good merchant team should do. Yeah. Amen to that. That's cool. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times about, getting started with Gemplers and really the entrepreneurial experience. And one of the, I've been an entrepreneur for over 40 years now. I've had 30 plus businesses. I've had some of them that last for 15 mm. seconds. And I've had, wow. I've had some of them. I had two now that have lasted over 20 years each. And one of the things that I learned along the way is that we just don't give up. Right. You know, if we have a mission, if we have a vision, if we have people on our team that are aspiring to do this, then, and you said in, this in our pre-conversation, that failure is not an option. So talk to me about that, would you? Yeah, I, I, I think entrepreneurs sort of get that. And I was thinking about it too. Farmers get that, don't they? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so, so fa- failure is not an option. And, you know, failure sounds like like it's an event, you know, like it's, uh, oh, well, we just completely failed that. And it sort of leaves out the part about what are you going to do next? And and this is something that I talk a lot about with our team, which is who cares what happened yesterday? And I mean, let's, let's learn from it, but there has to be a, a kind of a now what mentality. Okay. Big deal. That, that kind of stunk, you know, <laughs> yeah, we, we really, we, yeah, we really laid a goose egg there. And yeah, what did we learn from that? But more importantly, what are we going to go do next? And that, as an entrepreneur, and, and I think big company people maybe kind of miss this idea, but failure isn't an option. So what I mean by that as an entrepreneur, so my wife and I, we, we risked everything to do this, which that's not really who we are. I'm pretty conservative about all those kind of things, but mm-hmm. I just thought this was a special and unique thing, and we, we both did, and we're in it. So, okay, so let's say that not everything starts going your way, which is, by the way, you know, there's a series of those things that have happened in the last six months. 
what are you going to do? Are, are you going to sit and cry about it? Or are you going to say, okay, well, well, now what? And that's the beauty of it. And, and it's failure just really isn't an option. So, so again, big deal. That didn't go right. What are we going to do next? And I, I, I love that. And, and it's, it's probably, you know, back to drive or back to all those things, you know, just being in a position where, you never want to give up. You're like, okay, well, there's got to be a way through this. And what's the right next step? And that's just fun. Yeah. Well, I, you know, given how many businesses I've had, and some of them have been spectacular failures. In fact, the failure question that I ask in the next round of questions is based on something that happened for me in 2004. And it was a massive failure. I lost $100,000 on a project and had to refinance my home. And, you know, it was, it was, as you said, a big fat goose egg. But I learned so much from it. And I found for me in my life, I found that those intersections between, okay, I'm done with this project. What's next are the most exciting times in my life. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. The, the, and it's, I think, well said by a lot of people. And, and you, the failures are the things or the challenges are the things that we learn the most and you you turn them into lessons and you just keep on going. Yeah, exactly. So where are you taking this company that we're all so excited about? Well, it's interesting. I mean, right now we're focused on the things that you just said, you know, the things that are right in front of us. We got to, we got to fix the product. We have to get a little bit of personality back into the marketing. You know, we're a little bit sterile, you know, in terms of that we have some kind of interesting marketing challenges, you know, meaning historically the way that we've gone to market, so much of it has been catalog focused in today's day and age, you know, where nobody has the patience to read and to sit down and really focus on something. How do you go acquire customers differently? And so we we have kind of a lot of things in play that way. As far as, you know, where is it all headed? The way that I think about this and, you know, Greg, I'd appreciate your feedback on this. You know, I think of myself, number one, just just as a steward, meaning, holy cow, I, I get to steward a, a company with this great heritage and work with great employees and service great customers. And, you know, I just feel like it's an honor to do all that. I also don't pretend to know. And this goes back to my point earlier about, you know, do we have a five-year roadmap or a 10-year roadmap? And no, I, I believe strongly that we want to make a difference in our customers' lives, in our employees' lives, in the communities where we operate, and that those are really, really important things, and they aren't just words. They they need to happen. And what does that mean that Gemplors will morph into? I don't know that. I mean, I, I think there's opportunities to get into product categories that we're not in, but I think to pretend that I know all that is is kind of foolishness, and it's it goes back to what I've seen as well. Meaning, a company like Lands End starts out with sailing hardware and ends up somewhere else. And by the way, that is a very very common story. Oh, I mean, it I is. I could rattle off ten ten other companies where where that's the case. And so I think to say that I know that I I don't believe that. We we have a saying around here. We we hold our plans loosely, and and that doesn't mean that we don't have a plan. We, we have a plan on how we need to fix the product or fix the marketing or any of the things I just talked about that because having a plan is important, but you better hold that plan loosely because you're going to miss all kinds of opportunities or all kinds of clues from customers if you're being so dogmatic about, you know, just kind of focusing your, your silly plan. Right. Uh, you know, I want to 
clarify something. You said a couple of times, fix the products. And I want to clarify that mm. there's really nothing wrong with the products. It's the, it's the way they're presented that you're speaking to, right? Yeah. Thanks for that, Greg. Yeah. I, I think if, you know, if I was rephrasing that, we, we love the product categories that we're in, but we think that we're making it too difficult for the customer to shop because in many cases, we're carrying too many of the same things. So this whole thing comes back to curation and it comes back to let's only serve up the gloves that we need to that solve what, what the customer needs. And we right. need to do that across the board with product. Yeah, because I've, I've already experienced some of your products and I love them. So yeah, thank you for that. Absolutely. Thank you for that. You know, and one of the models, you asked for some uh, input a moment ago. One of the models that I use both in my urban farm uh, fruit tree program here in Phoenix, we do a uh, wild food harvesting event here every year in Phoenix and in Urban Farm U, my online stuff. It's education first. So one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, with all the products that you have, people may need or may want to know how to use a product, you know, doing a quick one or two minute video on how to use this kind of product and why use this kind of product uh, and make it go to the education bend. I have found great success in, in doing that in, in our model. So I just, you know, I saw that and wanted to throw it out to you. No, I think it's uh, great. We we talk about that here a lot, and it's actually part of the heritage of the company. Oh, nice! You know, having having kind of great content for for that purpose that you just described. Yeah. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Okay. So I thought a little bit about this, and you know, I'm going to go with a more recent one that's related to what we're talking about, and uh, it's it's some missteps that we've had along the way with, with gamblers. Uh, and it's kind of like I said before, you, you draw things up on paper one way and they, and they go another way on you and you just keep on going. So we, we had a challenge where when we acquired the company, we had to get on our own systems. And by our own systems, I mean really the ERP or warehouse system, the enterprise resource planning system or the warehouse system and the whole financial system, basically the nerve center of the business. So we'll just say it that way. And then we also had to get off of the old web platform onto our onto a new web platform. That in itself is a huge project. Yeah, both of them, both of them. So yeah. basically we had to flip out the nerve system of the business and the website. And as a brand new company, we had to do it within 90 days. So we, we really had to do it in March. And for the, for your listeners or others, would know that sometimes at big companies, they spend two or three years doing this and they end up changing their mind or firing the vendor or, wh or whatever else they end up doing. We, we had to do this in 90 days. And we also had to do it right before our peak. You know, our peak business really starts in March and, you know, runs through the end of the May. And then we have another peak in the back half of the year as well. That was daunting. And, and we didn't have a choice, meaning we had to do it. And that systems conversion was bumpy. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. We started shipping items the very next day, but for a four to six week period or more, we were not providing the normal customer experience that we, that we wanted to. And that was because we had brand new systems and we were having challenges and there were learning curves and there were things that weren't working right. And that 
was, I mean, I've, we, we've learned so many things from that. I mean, there's everything from, okay, well, you can't do that in 90 days. <laughs> right. To better contingency planning to, you know, in my case, I was trusting vendors or trusting people to a degree that I shouldn't have in terms of, well, tell me again, how is the web experience going to change on day one? And are they still going to have access to their order history that they had before? And, you know, it's just a very detailed thing I was talking about there. But you sort of get it. And that's one thing, by the way, that I I don't think on the entrepreneur side, you, you can't just blindly trust. You have to be involved in enough of the details where where you're kicking the tires hard enough to make sure that that you're ready or and so yeah a lot a lot of lessons there and a lot of you know disappointment in terms of here we are as this brand new company or as I like to say you know we're just an 80 year old startup getting out of the gate right in our peak season delivering kind of a rocky customer experience and and I can hide behind the well we didn't really have a choice we had to get off the systems yeah, but we could have done a bunch of things differently on the planning side to mitigate risk and to try to provide a better customer experience, and we just didn't do it. And then there were things, you know, in the, the weeks that were followed it where I feel like we could have moved at a better pace to improve things. On the other hand, great thing about a small company is when something like ha- that happens, it's all hands on deck. And yep. I was I was in the warehouse for two weeks, you know, three weeks straight picking orders and knee deep in the problems. I wasn't sitting in boardrooms trying to trying to pretend I knew what was best. I was doing whatever I could to, to help and to, to motivate employees and to help problem solve what was going on. Nice. All along this conversation, it's really just about from an entrepreneurial perspective, it's really just about figuring it out. And the reason I ask this question is because when something happens, it doesn't have to be a failure. It's just a learning experience. I agree. And then I think it's also how you handle it. And so we, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't answer calls as fast as we needed to because, you know, what was happening was customers weren't able to get things in the cart the same way, or they were looking for something they had before, or, you know, whatever the issue was. So call volume was increasing. And we weren't able to get to those calls fast enough. Well, we put a message on the on the whole thing from me, you know, and I didn't go to an agency or have some creative team kind of mock up what we should say. I just spoke from the heart. You know, we, nice. you know, this is Carl. This is Carl, and I run the place, and we just implemented new systems, and it's a bit rocky here, and we apologize, and that's why you know things are taking a little bit longer, and just hang hang in there with us, and that was a difference maker, I think, in terms of people understanding why, and you know, many people having some compassion or some understanding, and all of that, and we've since done the same thing to customers that were impacted as well, and take it a step further, you know, I've put my name. You know, we, we've emailed any customer and given them my email address, which is Carl at Gamplers. And, the, you know, it's it's great because customers feel like they can reach out with a, a complaint, if that's what it is, about bad service, a product idea, if they have it. And they think, like, I'm some big deal, right, that they can get hold of the president of Gamplers. And I'm not a big deal, right? I'm just somebody who's an entrepreneur 
trying to find his way, and I know that the lifeblood of the whole thing is customers, and I'm not going to hide behind email, and uh, I'm going to not let our employees take things on the chin when I can take things on the chin. And I think that that's something, by the way, that, you know, you can't get at a lot of big companies. You know, you can't you can't get to the people that are actually making the decisions that could, and you can get to me, and I'd love to hear from anybody. And th- this is one of the reasons when, when you guys approached me about sponsoring the podcast that I was so excited because I could see that. You know, I got on the mm-hmm. phone with some customer service people and I chatted with a couple of people and I, you know, I could see that in your company spirit, which I love. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, of course. Of course. So what do you consider your biggest success? The relentless kind of determination to just keep going no matter what life or business or family throws at you. And, you know, we, we have four teenagers at home and anybody that's, you know, has teenagers kind of gets that. I, I need every, my wife and I needed every ounce of that right now. Oh yeah. You know, I, if, if you push me, I'll try to think of one precise thing, but it's, it's the idea that no matter what, n- nothing's too bad to just kind of keep pushing forward with, whether it's business or family or, or whatever, just keep charging ahead. Beautiful. And what drives you? The desire to get better every day, the desire to to compete, and I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that word means exactly, but to me, it means like not giving up, and it, it means just pushing and wanting to be better tomorrow than I was today. And you know, people sometimes say, "Well, you're hard on yourself," or you know, even a, a minute ago, you know, you were talking about. You, you kind of corrected me of, you, you don't really need to fix the product. You guys have a lot of really great products and you're, and you're so right. You're, you're right. But I also want to call the thing that we need to work on. Like, you know, we have this thing around here, stare the ugly truth in the face. Like we, we got to get better at that. Like we, we just have to. And that's, that's what drives me is just getting better. Nice. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Just in the last week, somebody gave me children's book. And the setup was, this was prospective employee that we were going to come on to take a role at the company. And this is the third time I met with him. And, and he said, hey, Carl, I don't know where this is all going. And I just want to say, I've really, really appreciated the time together, no matter where this goes. And every night I read this book to my kids. He has two small kids. I think they're three and under. And it really reminded me of what it is you guys are trying to do. And so it's called The Carrot Seed, and it's by Ruth Kroos and and pictures by Crockett Johnson. And I could read this thing to you in two minutes. It's essentially – can I just do it, Craig? Please, absolutely. So I'm going to go fast, and you won't have the illustrations, okay? So this is the carrot seed. A little boy planted a carrot seed. His mother said, I'm afraid it won't come up. His father said, I'm afraid it won't come up. And his big brother said, it won't come up. And every day, the little boy pulled up the weeds around the seed and sprinkled the ground with water. But nothing came up, and nothing came up. Everyone kept saying it wouldn't come up. But he still pulled up the weeds around it every day and sprinkled the ground with water. And then one day, a carrot came up, just as the little boy had known it would. And the last picture in the book is the little boy with a wheelbarrow pushing the most giant carrot you've ever seen. And I loved that book. And I loved, by the way, what that gentleman did in the 
interview process because what he was connecting, and he, and he also kind of connected it to Gempler's agriculture roots, which was kind of clever of him. But this book is kind of everything that we've been talking about, isn't it? Meaning yeah, the boy had a dream. There was all these naysayers or other people that aren't particularly helpful, by the way. I mean, they're not, they're not necessarily giving you an idea how to make your business or your idea better. They're just kind of saying, hey, I don't think this thing's going to work or why didn't you think of this or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, he just kind of re- relentlessly pursued this thing, didn't pay a lot of attention around it. And probably the best page in the book is he still pulled up the weeds around it every day and sprinkled the ground with water. He was getting ready regardless of what anybody was saying. He was doing what he needed to do, and he continued to believe. And I love that story. I continue to believe. Absolutely. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Like we said at the beginning of the call, if you have restlessness, don't ignore it. Pay attention to it. And don't get daunted by, well, how would I do it? Just do it. Because, I mean, Greg, like you said on this call, you've done 20 things or whatever, and and some of them have failed, and others of them, such as this show, are a wild success. And you probably wouldn't have it any other way. And if somebody said, hey, why don't you come to this cozy corporate gig over here and push papers around, you would have no interest in doing that. And that's, that's the thing is I'd say just jump in and do it and you'll never look back and you'll love it. And people like you, you know, you're not the first to say this to me. I've owned this many businesses or I've done this, or sometimes people will say, is this your first business? And, you know, I don't even really understand the question because, you know, I'm just, my plate is so unbelievably full that I can't even imagine how somebody would have two or three. But I think when people are, (laughs) people ask that question, what they're, what they're really saying is, once the once the bug bites you, you're kind of in it, and it would be impossible to go back the other way. And I certainly feel that. I love what I'm doing. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Carl. Thank you so much for having me. And so Gemplers has been sponsoring the podcast, and it's been going really well. And I, you know, I want to thank you for having your crew contact me because it's making a difference over here in getting awesome content out. But you also have a special offer for our listeners. Yes, we do. Urban Farm 01, and that allows you to save 20% on your next order. Excellent. And how can our listeners get a hold of you? Carl at Gemplers. So Carl is spelled with a C. So Carl's at, Carl at Gemplers.com. They can email me. But at the same time, they can go to our website and order from there. And as you mentioned earlier on the call, they can call our call center and talk to friendly people who want to help. And, I, you know, I've called the call center and it's almost like I know the people. They're there. They're there to help. They're very friendly. I was very happy with that. So thanks for that. Yeah. And if that's ever not the case, you tell me. <laughs> at Carl at Kemplers.com. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Gemplers. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. 
You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.